Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. I see Roberta is here. Does it sound okay, everybody? Yes, no, maybe, kind of. <laughs> okay, you can hear me. Afternoon. Yeah, I forget we, we're worldwide, so it's different times everywhere. Is anybody, is it nighttime anywhere? <laughs> um, so... Had a tough week last week, uh, a, lot of, a lot of stuff going on in my life. So some friends of mine invited me over to their place. And so I said, sure, but I have to do a service. And they said, well, you could do it here at our house. And I said, okay. So I met some friends and this is their, I think it's called a Pinko machine, a Pico, Pico, Panikia, I don't know. I don't know. They like, old games and this is one of their old games and obviously this isn't my house because these plants that one doesn't look that healthy but if those were my plants they'd all just be dead they would just be empty things hanging so anyhow pachinko it, yes it's a pachinko machine a pachinko representing new york mets again today um so yeah Good to see you all. Thanks for joining us. Listen, we are um, working right now. Uh, Josh is helping out while Caleb takes uh, some time off. And me and Josh uh, have some ideas to start putting this video, not just on Facebook, but also on YouTube, which already on, we put it on YouTube, but it'll be on YouTube Live and it will also maybe do Twitter, which I've never watched a video on Twitter, not in a long time, at least. And so it would, we could maybe do Twitter and Instagram video. So, forgive me. What's up, Jason? Um, so yeah, I don't know if you guys would like that, but I think it would help. I think it would help kind of get the word out there, get news out there and help us also run finance raise finances and things like that and just spread out a little bit. And if this Delta variant doesn't drive us all insane, oh, Jimmy Hollywood, hey buddy. Um, if the Delta variant uh, doesn't go too crazy, then hopefully we'll be finding a place here in Seattle soon to be meeting in person, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. So anyway, today, um, I wanted to talk to you guys about something. I mean, I guess it's something I talk about a lot. Um, I mean, it's not grace, so it's not my main one, but I do talk a lot about love, right? And we are gonna talk about love today. I mean, there are definitely a uh, few things in the Bible that I really like, <laughs> ideas in the Bible that I really like, and and, and biblical, the idea of love in the Bible has always interested me. I really like it. Um, Hegel it was one of the things that drew Hegel to Christianity. He, he said it was the concept of love in the Bible that really interested him with uh, what drew him to kind of point out Christianity as a particular religion because before he had, in his work, he had just kind of summed it up as all religions were the same. But he was really impressed with the concepts of love in the Bible. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Also, um, what's the other thing I was going to mention to you guys? Um, what was it? What was it? What was it? Um, oh, yeah, I had posted something. Um, something recently on uh, Facebook. Not on Facebook. On uh, Twitter and Instagram about disagreeing with the pastoral epistles. And it's quite wild. People really had a lot of crazy conversations. 
And uh, I think it's good because I, I think it's important that if we want to see the church change and become a better place, that we get the truth of the, how the Bible was written, why it was written. It's a collection of letters and poems and stories, and, and we'll talk about that stuff. And, and uh, I think we could, I, I really do believe that the church can be reformed again. Um, but I believe that we have to be very particular about how we go about it and that we have to start being honest with folks. And unfortunately, like, the idea of the pastoral epistles not being by Paul some still accept them, even though they don't believe they weren't, by, you know, by Paul. They just accept them as that's how they were written. Um, I do not accept them, but the whole point is, is, is that even a lot of conservatives know that they weren't written by Paul, and it's like one of those things where it's like the best kept secret, you know, of theologians and pastors, and and uh, and that's just got to stop. You know, I hear people talk about deconstruction all the time. Here's a good example. Like right now, deconstruction is really big. But usually when I see people talking about deconstruction um, on social media, it's usually just taking the piss out of the church. Like, oh, my youth pastor was a jerk. Or, oh, you know, don't you hate it at church when they did A, B, C, or D? You know, and it's like I don't see people posting a lot of actual deconstruction, you know. And for me, like saying like, hey, this, these books in the Bible weren't written by who they were supposed to be written by, who it's claimed to be written by, and there's a good chance that these are forgeries that were actually meant to hurt the person they're claiming to be written by, you know, that seems to be deconstruction. And I, and I hope that these are the type of conversations we're willing to have is tough, honest conversations in the public so everybody has the same thing. I don't think pastors should have secret knowledge, you know, that's just, you know, not my thing. That's why I get out here and speak and we can, you know, we can figure this out together, we can work at this together. Um, and so I just have, I, I hope that we will, you know, yeah, everybody knows that the church is an organization that's messy, but guess what? So many organizations are crap. You know, where, 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 where many people are together, you're going to have issues because that's just how people work together. But if we're going to honestly look at a system and want to change that system, then we need to take the foundations of those systems and say, like, here's the questions that we have. And then maybe the rest of the stuff will start to fall together. And we can confront those things as well. But if we're able to confront, like, you know, the holy text and, and, and take it apart a little bit and deconstruct it a little bit, um, then maybe the, those other things will become more obvious. That's just my two cents. So there you go. Enjoy that. Take it with a grain of salt or with a giant piece of salt. I don't know. A salt rock. A diamond. But today we're going to be talking about love. Um, I'm going to be in start in 1 John and let's see what happens. So as I was thinking about love and, you know, we all have different concepts of love, romantic love, friend love, parental love, family love, animals that we love. Um, if you think about the 60s, all you need is love, <laughs> you know. Um, but the lo but love doesn't come with like inst an instruction booklet, you know. It doesn't come with telling us how to do it and what it looks like. And so we're all kind of left up with these different concepts and ideas of what love is. And so another reason that I stick with Christianity is because I do like how Christianity talks about love. And I like that it that it sees it in 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 layers in many different ways and so i think it's important for us when we talk about love is that we realize that it's not just like everything's groovy you know i love you you love me it's cool um relationships aren't easy romantic relationships or even friends relationships relationships with other people aren't easy loving others is not easy and for some of us loving ourselves is even harder so that's what we're going to kind of talk about and look at today. Um, so uh, first thing I kind of wrote down in my notes was, is love adapts. You know, it's very adaptable. And I was also thinking about Bruce Lee and uh, a, a quote that he was talking about. And he was saying, be like water, you know, and he was talking about his fighting technique and how it kind of, you know, water is fluid and it moves and it's solid and it's there, but it also, whatever you pour it in, if you pour it into a cup, it becomes the cup. 
you know, you pour it into the tub, it becomes the tub. Um, you know, if you pour it into a funny boot-shaped glass, it becomes the boot. And, and, uh, and Bruce Lee said, become water, be like water. And I like that idea of, of how we fit in and where we fit in and being like water. Um, so I think love is able to do that because I think that love is, shows up in so many different ways that it's very adaptable. Um, but sometimes when love is, you know, adapting to one way, it might not look like the love somewhere else. And I think the problem is, is in religion and in life, we just want to make everything a little too simple and go like, well, this is love and this isn't love, you know, and, and, and not realizing that, like, you know, that's why people talk about, well, it's tough love, you know, and you're like, I don't know if I like tough love, but is it really love? And it, and it can be if it's, if the idea and the, the, uh, the outcome is to better yourself or better the person or to help the other person become free of something or to find something, um, to grow, you know, sometimes that requires tough love, you know, like, when my parents stopped supporting me financially, I did not like that. <laughs> it was tough. But as I got used to it, I kind of liked it too because one, there weren't the strings attached to like, well, we can cut off the money if you don't do this. Um, but there was also the idea of realizing, like, oh, I can do some of these things because there were so many times in my own life when I was getting help from others that were done out of a loving, caring heart that... You know that I started to believe that I couldn't do certain things, and I became dependent on others. So sometimes taking things being taken away, even though it can be hurtful in the long run, allow us to realize how strong we really are and who we can really be. Even in losses of friendships and marriages, you know, and those type of things. Um, Lauren said, uh, Lauren on Facebook here says, enabling love. Yeah, you know, and there's people we enable each other, and we become codependent sometimes. And it's not that it's this thing out of that we're doing it out of out of a bad intention. It's usually really good intentions, um, but unfortunately, you know, road to hell is paved with good intentions. But unfortunately, sometimes those good intentions, those those they enable us to live life and live life well. And so, for us to love requires sacrifice, does require pain, does require growth. So it's not an easy thing to do. Um, another adaption thing I thought about was, is, um, this is really silly. Um, did anybody see Back to the Future 2? I'm sure he did. And in the Back to the Future 2, there's the, he puts on this future jacket and it's like really big and he's like, this is too big. And then it says, fitting, you know, and he pushes a button and all of a sudden he goes, and then this jacket all of a sudden fits them. Like, you know, you just buy one size and then they learn to like shape to you, to adapt to you, to be your size. And in some way, one size does fit all. And so I do think love can adapt that way, but is it always healthy? That's a good question to ask. And it's a good thing to kind of keep an eye on. Um, but also the idea is that yes, love gets angry. You know, and I think that sometimes we don't realize that. And we're going to talk a little bit about Corinthians 13, and, and, and it says, you know, doesn't raise its voice and, and different things like that. But I think there are times where love gets angry. You know, like if my child runs out in the middle of the street, I get angry, and we have to have a talk and maybe a timeout. And when I was a kid and I ran out in the street, I got spanked, you know. And it wasn't so my parents could be like, yeah, we just love hitting Jamie Charles. It was... We don't want Jamie Charles to get hit by a car. We don't want him to die. And we are angry that he ran out of the road the fifth time we asked him not to do it. And the reason we don't want him to do it in the road is because we don't want him to die. Um, so love, it can be a tough thing. And I, 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 I'll be honest, I think sometimes a lot of people who are angry at the church are angry at the churches because people are loving sometimes in a tough way. And it might not even be the right way that they're loving whether or not the outcome isn't the right thing, but in their religious minds it is. And so sometimes, you know, Christians will say really horrible things and be like, well, I just love you, you know. And I think that because they're victims of misinformation, that they're, they are trying to, to love the best to their ability. Um, 
but they're also missing. So misinformation can also come in and really screw up love as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it is, it is, uh, it's such a, love is messy and complicated and not that easy. And I guess that's the key I want to give you guys today. The thing I'd recommend you walk away with today is that love is not this simple, easy thing. You know, and that we, it's something that we need to keep an eye on. Um, let's read, uh, I'm going to read from 1 John um, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone whose love is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, I've always liked this verse. One, because it also used to always make my uh, neo-Calvinist friends uncomfortable. That was always a good time. Because, um, <laughs> you know, they're like, God is wrath, God is anger, God is this, God is judgment. You know, and God is love. And they're like, God, where does it say that? You know, I remember one time someone said that, and I had to, like, double check to make sure it was still there. Like, it's there, right? You know, God, it's right here, it says God is love, you know. Um, there's not a lot of verses where it says, God is anger, God is wrath. I mean, it might say God is a jealous God, but it doesn't say God is jealousy, you know. But here in John, it says God is love. So that's a big thing. And so if God is love, that makes love even more complicated because what in the hell is God? You know, I don't think God's a man in the sky with a big beard, but some people do. But what is God? Oh, God is love. Cool thing about love, too, is love is infinite. It's not finite. Love will be here long after we're gone, and it was here long before we got here. So love is this infinite moving thing that stays alive, continues to grow. Uh, love is one of those things that you literally do pass on to others, give to others, and they bring and they share with others. It, it multiplies. It's, it's, it can be really beautiful. And I think that's why it's important that we pay attention to love and the idea of love and what is love and what is counterfeit love and these different ideas of looking at this thing is because this is the most powerful thing. What's really powerful about this verse is, uh, to my literalist friends, I'm not a literalist, but to my literalist friends, it says, Beloved, let us love another because love is from God. Everybody who loves is born of God and knows God. And maybe I'll take this one literal as well. It's saying anybody who loves knows God. So it doesn't mean that, you know, you have to be a Christian to know God. What it means is, is you, if you love, you know God. If you love, you have been connected to God. Um, you know, Gandhi was a huge example of love. Gandhi was not a Christian. Gandhi respected Christ, did not really love Christians all that much. But he knew love. He knew God. And that's very hard for a lot of us in our minds to grasp because we don't really believe that God is love. We don't really believe that God is in all the details. We, we want to, we, we've limited God through bad theology and through uh, some misconstrued books in the Bible and through bad traditions and through Americanizing Christianity um, that we've made love something else or that we've made love conditional as far as if you don't say this prayer which that's not in the bible if you don't believe this way then it's not love now it's going to say we have a lot of this it gets into john where it does talk about believing jesus died and all this but and it says that actually earlier here but what i think is interesting is then you go back in and then in john it just says if you love if you love you know god so there's something to that, and there's something for us to sit with and to think about and not be such exclusive folks. I don't know why we, we, we want to be so exclusive. I don't know the idea of why we want to be like, well, those people are out, and we're in, and they're going to go to hell, and they're not, and we're right, and they're wrong. The us and them thing is, honestly, it, it drives me crazy. It bores me. It's why we're calling ourselves Revolution Gathering now and not Revolution Church because I see the church doing it all the time. It bores me with politics. I mean, it literally, like, it's got me so angry that now I'm just bored with it. I'm just like, there's another way. There is a better way, and we've got to start focusing on the other way. What's the other way, and how do we better explain love and grace and the church 
and Jesus and Paul and the Bible. How do we make the world better through these, building off of these ideals and not just fall into the same old system and the same old trap? So that's what I want to do. And I hope you'll join me because I think I have to do it with you guys. I don't can't, I'm not going to do it on my own. Um, whoever does not love does not know God. And that's interesting as well. For God is love. God is love was revealed amongst us in the way God sent his only son into the world so that he might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us, sent God's son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Be loved since God loved us so much. We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfect in us. So, you know, here it is again, like we see people who love other people all the time. And this is what John's saying is, is if you love other people, God is in you. There are so many people and so many organizations that don't buy into Christianity or don't follow Christianity who do an amazing job at loving others, helping other people. And to me, that's got the world is suffering. Life is suffering. And I would say anybody who's in this world trying to help others relieve suffering, eat a meal, have a sleep at night, you know, a safe place to stay, a safe place to live, um, to help them give them reasons to live, to help them find some peace in the midst of the storm, to me is expressing God. Now you might say, oh, this sounds like a lot of hullabaloo, hullabaloo and stuff like that, but I literally am trying to take it from the texts of the Bible to let you know that this fits with Christianity. In my humble opinion and that we've done it wrong and we've got to start thinking differently we desperately have to think differently you know Christianity should not be the reason we split families shouldn't be splitting up because of Christianity families should be coming together I would even go as far as saying families should learn to disagree well and love each other if they're a Christian family but instead, when I was growing up, kids were getting kicked out because they were gay or lesbian or because they didn't believe in God or they wanted to be a rock and roll star, whatever, you know. And that's not, to me, that's not love. That's not Christianity. But it's a, a polluted version of love that people have been taught. And so really they've become victims to this misinformation. And unfortunately, we often turn those people into enemies but what we should be trying to do is focus on how do we deliver the information correctly to them? How do we heal them, heal the pain they've caused, heal the pain in them that has them to do this? I mean, how do we speak clearly to folks and have good conversations? How do we break the brainwashing that's been done with the concept of love? And it requires another tool that's my favorite tool, I'd even say beyond love, is the idea of grace. And grace is something that is like anarchy, and it moves and accepts everyone. And when you have this grace, you can go in and figure out what type of love fits this situation. I think we see it very clear in Dr. King's life, Martin Luther King Jr.'s life, of how he dealt with people, how he talked to moderates who weren't supporting uh, the civil rights issue, but he also how he talked to whites who did support the civil rights issue, but also how he talked to people who were totally against the civil rights issue. And each situation he held it differently, but it was love every time. It was love. Love was always present in Dr. King's work. And then going to the Poor People's Campaign, you know, he went to the point and said, now I just see a whole group of people beyond their race, where they're just poor, they can't take care of themselves, they can't take care of their families. I wanna focus on this community, and that whole focus for that community wasn't that he didn't still love uh, the civil rights, of course that was his heart and his passion, but he also said, I've gotta love more, and I've gotta love this area too, because here's a group who's suffering and needs love, and needs to be cared for. Um, I see someone says, uh, April says, agreed. So many conservative Christians damn people to hell. It may haven't accepted a Christ. Yeah, I'll have to read the rest later because I can't. And you're right. And unfortunately now I'm seeing a lot of liberal Christians damning people to hell because they are conservatives. 
you know, so it's like now they're returning the favor, you know, so we've gotten to the situation where we're not showing love back to our enemies. We're literally gone back to like Old Testament law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, literally, because it's like you kicked me out and said I wasn't Christian because I voted for this person. Well, now I'm going to say you're not a Christian because you voted for this person. We've literally gone back to the law. We've reset it up. So now my worry was is that the conservatives were stuck in the law. But now this is another reason why we call ourselves gathering and not a church is that the liberals are also in the law. And so we're both in the law. And so now the woke idea of being woke becomes not something that's like, oh, this is graceful, this is loving, this is open to others and hurting. Now a lot of people who claim that the concept of wokeness are saying it's my way or the highway and it has become a law. And if you're a Christian and you follow Christianity, you are to be free from the law. And that allows you to love better because you're not saying they're if, ands, and buts. Because grace doesn't say conservative law rules or woke love rules or progressive love rules or conservative love rules. It says, no, screw all of it. I move out outside of it all. That's what grace does. And so grace gives you the idea to walk through all these areas and show love and have difficult conversations, hard conversations, and confront people and talk to people where they're at. And you don't have to say, well, this is what I am. I'm this. Because I don't give a damn anymore. Like the last week when we were talking here at service, someone goes, are you a liberal or are you a conservative? Because they couldn't tell. And I thought, wow, that was actually kind of a compliment for me. And I was like, I'm a punk rocker. I'm a 45-year-old punk rocker. Um, but really, the idea is, is that, no, I just want to love people and see people argue well, have good conversations Maybe we all get together, conservative and liberal, and go, look at the government. Both are really screwy. Like, conservatives, you guys just had a, you know, Republicans, you just had a guy who was scary and said all this scary stuff. And now us as Democrats, I'm a lifelong Democrat, but I'm really disillusioned with my party, but Democrat, now we just have a guy who does a lot of scary stuff and doesn't talk about it, you know? And so then we're like, well, he doesn't talk about it, so I feel comfortable. I mean, which was, what would you rather have? I mean, it's like, you know, the, the, this is the situation. So when we love, what we do is we get, are able to have a look and step back and go like, this isn't perfect. This isn't perfect. No one's got the corner on it, but we're going to love. We're going to have difficult conversations. We're going to build on that, and we're going to make things better. And I think the church could become a better place and a community, much like AA, the 12-step program is an amazing community because it doesn't matter what your politics are in AA. It doesn't matter what your faith is in AA. It doesn't matter what your sexuality is in AA. You know, you come in and the only thing that matters is that you have a desire not to drink. And so with Christianity, I think it would just be the kind of idea is I have a desire. I don't know if I can do it, but I have a desire to love my neighbor as myself. Okay, well, you're welcomed here because we're childlike working on that one day at a time as well. Um, love sets boundaries. Love has to set boundaries sometimes. Um, because if you remember, um, love your neighbor as yourself. And you, when you have yourself, sometimes you have to set boundaries so you can keep peace in your life so you can effectively love others and treat them well. Like I'm a parent and I have to have boundaries in my life with others uh, who I care about because it starts to affect my parents and so my parenting. And my main focus and goal in knowing that is my kids. So I have a lot of boundaries built around how I have my kids and who I let in my life and out of my life if it affects how I care about my kids. And you might go, well, Jay, is that really radical love? Well, it might not be radical love, but I saw what happens when you don't build those boundaries with my own parents growing up, when they loved everybody and us, but you know, I ended up having being raised by other people most of the time because my parents were trying to love and save the world for Jesus. So I'm gonna do it differently than that, you know, because I have a lot of trauma based around that and I don't want my kids to have that same type of trauma. But that's how love works. You know, it grows, it evolves, we learn from it, and sometimes, we, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I think one of the biggest mistakes I made in my last marriage was choosing to love my wife 100% unconditionally. And that no matter what, I would love her. And what happened was, is I just confused 
codependency and love, you know? And so anything I was like, I'll just do this and I'll be this and I'll try to be this. And I, and I couldn't do all of it. I couldn't do any of it. And I was miserable, you know? And she was miserable and we were both miserable. And I thought this, I had made this great idea, but it ended up being more and more and more pain. And we had a lot of pain. Now, luckily we're friends and we're raising two amazing kids, but there was so much pain involved um, because I decided to take wisdom basically out of love. I'm just gonna love like a fool. I'm gonna be a fool for love. And that's very romantic and, and, and great, but it can also cost you your life, it can cost you your sobriety, it can cost you a lot of things. Um, oh, I forgot I was reading here. Sorry, everybody, got a little distracted. Um, be loved since God loved us so much. We also ought to love one another no one has ever seen God. Oh yeah, I read that part. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. So what do I love when I love my God? You know, that's a, a question been asked for thousands of years. What do I love when I love God? And the best answer I can give through my understanding of Christ's teaching and Paul's teaching, Dr. King's teachings, um, even Hegel and, and, and the 12-step programs and these different things, the best thing I can do is I love the other. Now, how I love the other is different depending on who that other is and what that relationship requires. And so sometimes it's like that water. Sometimes that relation requires the water to turn into a boot and the other time it's a bowl. You know, and the other times it's an ice cube, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Um, but it's that love. But we, we, we love others is how we experience God. So the great thing is, is if we're all wrong about this God concept and it was just a bunch of chemicals and stars and here we are and there's nothing around. The cool thing is, is that we're loving others and how can we go wrong with that? How can we go wrong with saying, I want to see hungry people eat? How can we be wrong with saying, I want the church to become a safer place where people aren't abused by one another or are themed or they'd, you know, anymore and hurt and caused by trauma where, 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 where maybe religions could be safer or we go in and, and reform other areas. I can't reform everything. I wish I could, but, you know, like politics and things like that. How do we get, how do we change that? We do change it with love and with a love that is able to, to adapt. And I do believe love evolves over time as well. Um, I think it's had to through just social media and different things like that and how we show love and we don't realize like the power that social media has and how it causes us to have body problems like, you know, and how we see ourselves and how others see us and, and our imagination. So we have to like constantly work on like how we're communicating with others in that way as well. So it's, it's, it's really one of those things that's, that it's constantly evolving and how that evolves and how it changes. Um, it goes on here to say, let me look at my notes and see if we have anything else that I wrote here. So yeah, love gets angry sometimes. Yes, that's true. Uh, love has boundaries. Yes. Uh, and love has wisdom. I think one of the closest things that, you know, I think love without wisdom is, is, is a scary thing. And it could be a very dangerous thing and going to hurt people. And I think there has to be wisdom in there. There has to be knowing your limits. Because <clears throat> I think what we see with a lot of these, like, you know, I'm, I'll use pastors as an appointment because that's one of the things I see people talking about how shitty pastors are, you know. These guys didn't get into a job to be like shitty judgmental bastards, you know, and, or, or rich or famous. They got into love people. But what happened was is they kept loving, loving, loving and spreading thin and love got thinner and then all of a sudden the priorities changed because there weren't boundaries. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm able to bring in all this money, you know, and I'm able to do all this. And there just wasn't wisdom in there to balance all these things out. And then a lot of time we're not surrounded by people who have enough wisdom or are brave enough to say, hey, you're kind of screwing this thing up. Or you're kind of not, we've forgotten the original idea why we started this thing. So, so wisdom and love should be lovers for the lack of a better term. They should be together. And grace is always that like weird cousin that just is like, everybody's in, you know? So grace gives us the issue of now we've got to love all sorts of different people and we've got to we learn how to adapt the way we love to different types of people. That's a tough situation. 
but I do think that grace is that one thing that says, okay, now you're going to have to love these different people in different ways. Of course, you're going to love your enemy differently than you love your best friend. And you're going to love your wife differently than you love your best friend. You're going to love, you know, you're, you're going to love your kids a different way. You love your, you know, all these loves are going to be a little bit different. Um, so grace says, you know, all right, guess what? You know, you thought love was complicated before. Now it's really, really going to be complicated. Sometimes love is going to cause you to, to have boundaries and ultimatums and things like that and this you know with certain people and then there's other people who you would never dream about doing that with but both times it's love you know and the problem is I feel like the church doesn't allow us to have those nuances like we just want to write everything for a church like for having the apostle Paul who said we're set free from the law and the law was dead and all this stuff and Jesus said I fulfilled the law we sure do like to create a lot of laws like oh Loving this way really worked well, so that's going to be the only way we love from now on. You, you get it? You know? And so then we end up destroying each other's lives because we can only love one type of person. You know? We can't love people from different faiths or different ideas or different belief systems or lack of or, you know, we don't know how to love anymore. You know, we only know how to love this one group. You know, and pro the sad thing is a lot, of, for a lot of Christians in America, you know, in the 70s and 80s, that one group that they learned to love was themselves, you know? And so they thought, well, we're the in-group, so we gotta love each other. And then we'll love people who are lost, but the whole reason we love them is to get them saved. Now, all of a sudden, when you say love, I love someone to get something or to get them to change or get them to be something else, then you have to start asking what type of love is that and if is that actual love or is that a hidden agenda? Um, you know, if it's, I want you to, I'm gonna love them so they'll join my group. Well, what's your group for? What's your group about? You know, that's just something to think about. I can understand why it gets fuzzy, but I'm just wanting to make it clear that love is a complicated emotion. It's a complicated issue and it's, it's, uh, it may be one size fits all, but it's gonna look a lot different. And there's gonna be some one sizes that you're gonna to have to have boundaries with. You're gonna to have to have uh, lots of certain rules and ideas set up. And there's gonna be some where it's just great and free and amazing. But, um, but love is also being able to like admit you're wrong and that you've done things wrong and that you've screwed up. And on the other side of that is when hearing a response like that, you're able to say, okay, you know what? I love you. I hate that you did this, but we can figure it out. We can work through it. Or it might be like, in order for me to move on, I love you, but I can't be with you anymore. So we're going to have to work this stuff out separately. That's also love, you know, because you have to see the bigger picture. Where am I able to continue to allow love to grow into my life? And you don't know what happens. Sometimes time changes things. We change over time. Who knows? That could be situation where it comes together and you're apart and then something happens and then you're, you know, you're able to make it work and come back together. Love works in so many different ways. Love is a mystery. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse here, but we're, we're almost there. Um, I'm going to just jump down to 16. It says, uh, 716. It says, so we have known and believed that love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. I mean, there it is again. God is love. God abides in them. This is God. Do you think God loves, oh, God loves everybody equally? Yeah, but not in the same way. Certain people have different callings, different purposes, different ideas, and how does that love work in their life? Love has been perfected amongst us in this, that we may have bound boldness on the day of judgment because as he, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Now listen to this, this is really good. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brother or sister or, uh, <clears throat> are liars. For, their whole, for those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love a God whom they have never seen. 
So that's pretty amazing to me is saying the idea of like, you know, you say you hate this group or you hate this person or you hate the, you know, and hate, I think actually kind of honestly, I, I think the, the, it misses a, a little bit here. I think hate has love built into it as well because I think if you're able to have that negative feeling, the one I, I think it would say if you're indifferent, you know, if you're indifferent towards others, maybe you can't love God. Because indifference sometimes is, and I just, I could care less, um, to me is, is scarier than hate. At least hate, you know, you've caused a reaction and a passion. But I guess what he means by hate, especially at this time, is killing, murdering, hurting. And you're, if you want to kill others and murder others, I mean, that's why I, I don't believe in the death penalty, you know, like, it's not my job. I don't, you know, the person, even if the person killed my children, it's not my job. To, now, I might get revenge myself and do that, um, but I don't believe that, you know, we're, we're called to, like, let, kill each other. That's why I don't like war and, and things like that, you know. I mean, it was strange to me, like, we, people, like, never talked about the how, how few wars that, that we got into during our uh, Trump, you know? And then all of a sudden we, we, we got a Democrat in, like I said, I was a lifelong Democrat, and then all of a sudden we're bombing people and people are being killed and dying and murdered, if you will. Um, folks, that's not love. So the fact that Christians in the world put so much faith in politics and politics does so much stuff where we hurt so many people and, and destroy other people and things like that, it's time to question is, is there love in that? Is there love in those votes? Is there love in those ideas? Is there love in capitalism, a, a system that says you're not good enough unless you're completed by something else or by finances or by this or by that, or if you live this way and you don't have A, B, C, or D, you're not really accepted, which is really just another way of saying you're not loved. You know, those are the hard things to think about. So love makes life complicated. Love is not a yes or no answer. Love is an answer that is different for a lot of people. And how you answer one person or say something to another person may be completely different because you love that person personally and you love this person personally and you know how love has to work within those situations. That's why I think rules are kind of bizarre to me. You know, like in Christian school, I would get in trouble and get kicked out because I didn't have a pocket on my shirt once in this Christian school and they sent me home and I dyed my hair. I didn't even dye, I had a little blonde streak in the front and they sent me home. I got caught smoking at McDonald's. Somebody saw me smoking at McDonald's, they suspended me for seven days. Um, you know, but part of that was, you know, my dad was also going through a trial. He, my parents were all in the media, we were everywhere. And they didn't think like, maybe we should just give this kid a break. You know, maybe that would be the thing to do is just love this kid, give him a break, you know. But in their ideas, the rules were more important than the people. Like, if we don't treat everybody exactly the same, if we don't do all this, then we, something's wrong. So for them, the rules, and this is why we have such issues with law, is that the law becomes more important than the people that it's governing. Sorry, folks, my phone is about to die. Oh, it's the first time this has happened during a service. Anyway. So love is a complicated thing, and what makes it more complicated is this concept of grace. But grace causes us to let our love change people, evolve how we communicate with others and work with others. Um, so, so I put a warning in my notes here, and I'm just going to go off my notes here for the next few minutes. Is is um, you know, there is a lot of counterfeit love out there. And I think that's what we see a lot in the church, and that's what I think we see a lot with the rules and regulations is, you know, when rules start being put above other people's well-beings and ideas and, and you know. And, you know, you see, like, these movies and these documentaries about these horrible injustices that happen because of a loophole in a law, and, you know, and someone ends up in prison forever or ends up going through all this horrible stuff together. Um because of this weird law, you know, and that the people, they were able to take advantage of and destroy someone's lives over this. And we often see this and go, oh my God, the laws have got to change, you know, um, because it's like, we have these counterfeit love ideas. And, and I see that a lot with a lot of Christians whose ideas become, theology becomes above love. Law and judgment become above love. Um, 
you know, in the early 2000s, there was a big resurgence of uh, neo-Calvinism. And I really feel like that was counterfeit love, I'm not gonna lie, you know? Because I saw people just trying to push love and grace and all this stuff to the side because they needed the judgment, they needed the wrath, they needed all this, but they didn't realize is that for any of those to be an idea of God or an idea of Christianity, they all had to come through love. There always, there had to be a reason, you know? And they would, oh yeah, it is love, but not the way you're communicating to me, you know? Not the way you're saying it. Like, you know, it's just obvious when someone hates you or disagrees with you or thinks you are the biggest piece of shit they've ever talked to. And I'm like, it couldn't be clear from the way you're communicating to me by the words you're saying, uh, by the way your body is, is moving, you know, by the sound of your voice. It could not be clear that that evolving or working with my understanding is, is the furthest thing from your mind right now. You want to be right. And I think that really hurts the church. And um, it's, it's sad to me. Um, you know, but I'd still sit down and have conversations with those folks and hard conversations. I'm willing to do it. You know, I'm willing to say, hey, let's look at these theologians rather than these theologians. Let's look at this philosopher rather than that philosopher. You know, let's just have this, let's just see if we can be human together, you know. Let's get past the magic man in the sky at this point. Let's see, you know, is love something that we can share as human beings or do you have to have a, this super being to make sure that you, you know, control everything in your life? Um, so love can be, well, that's a warning, it, it, it can be counterfeit. Um, love does not manipulate and love does not guilt people into things. And I really believe that. And I think that's the problem with the church and many organizations, period, not just the church, but a lot of organizations is these, these manipulating and guilting. You know, if you don't think our way, if you don't do it this way, you know, and we were going to manipulate you into believing that this is the right way. I think that happens a lot with politics as well. So I think we have a lot of... Uh, organizations that have these issues, not just the church. It's just so easy to shit on the church, you know? Because um, I want to do it, you know? I do it a lot, too. I'm kind of fed up with it to the point where I'm calling Revolution Gathering rather than church, if that gives you any idea. But the point is I'm also really bored when I see people just constantly throw the church under the bus because I'm like, there's a way to solve this and being angry about some of these silly things that only evangelicals do or only Protestants do or only these people. You know, I mean, it just starts to get like... You know, we just focus on all the, you know, all the little, I don't know, um, symptoms rather than the disease, you know, and I think there's a disease that we need to take a look at rather than being like treating symptoms constantly. I just feel like that's what we do is, is, is treat symptoms. And I think that's why, you know, uh, Martin Luther, who was not a perfect person or a perfect reformist, but why he was able to reform is that he brought up grace and, and grace was just like, this is, the found, this is the foundation of the problem is grace is missing from this completely. This is the disease. It's not, you know, yes, there are people, you know, raising money, you know, oh, you know, well, indulgences and all these different things, you know, and, and priests are beating themselves because they're miserable, you know, but he wasn't just like, we're gonna focus on this, we're gonna focus on indulgence, or we're gonna focus, he's just saying we're missing grace, we're missing the concept of what grace is. And I also think in the churches, we're missing the concept of what love is. And so by missing these concepts, missing these ideas, we're suffering and we need to get down to these and look at these, you know? Yeah, I'm sure you didn't get enough tokens or you didn't get the last slice of pizza at Sunday school. That sucks too, you know? Or maybe the church uh, auctioned off your family's uh, bed and clothing and stuff from, from the pulpit. Would that happened to me? You know what I mean? Like I have reasons to, to complain too. But what I'm saying is, is I don't need to fix those things. What I need to do is we have to go down to the foundation and break the foundation. So maybe rather than reconstruction is maybe we, because a lot of these reconstructionists too often, uh, de deconstructionists often are using wrecking balls and that's not deconstruction, that's destruction. Um, but maybe the wrecking ball is what we need. But what, maybe what we just need to do is we need to become in and say, look, we've got to focus on what's going on with the foundation, you know, and then just rebuild the building. We can deconstruct it and keep some of the things, I'm sure. So let's deconstruct it, but then we've got to get to the foundation because the foundation is where things have to change. <sighs> I 
Um, I don't think love takes advantage of others. So I think there's a lot of things like that. And then there's Corinthians 13, four through, uh, which is all of Corinthians 13 is quite beautiful and marvelous, but like love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. And I think we can blanket statement that too, but that's why I'm also bringing in things like, it might endure through circumstances, but enduring might be separating. It might be just being like, I'm gonna have to pray from a distance. I do believe that. Um, I don't believe love is cruel, um, but I do believe love can be tough and it can be hard. And uh, I think love will argue and I think love will argue well. And I don't think, you know, it's like, I was, my first marriage, we didn't argue a lot. And when we were divorced, everybody was shocked. And to be honest with you, I look back, I'm like, I think it probably would have gone a lot better had we argued more, had we not been so afraid to argue and that codependency and the people-pleasing wouldn't have been there. And so there was all this hidden stuff, you know? So love can argue, love can yell, love can scream, love can fight, love can protest, love can do these things. Um, the problem is, is we become, we get so sensitive to these things that, oh, you know, triggers and all these things that we get so sensitive that we, we've shut ourselves down to good arguments. We've shut ourselves down to good disagreements because somehow we think disagreements and arguments are, are a lack of love. But I think if we really love someone, we're going to argue with someone well. And you know what? And the greatest thing is, is that we'll also be willing to change our minds and that to also lose arguments if we're able to love well, we'll lose arguments and go, oh, you're right, we don't have to be right. You know, like, oh, my theology doesn't have to be perfect. You know, like, oh, you just proved me wrong, that's okay. I mean, I've, you know, hanging out with Pete Rollins, you know, he guy knows the Bible, he knows philosophy, he knows theology really well. And there's been times where he's been like, oh yeah, but this, but there's also been times where I've been like, oh, but this. And we both have changed things that we thought about and it is because we're open to being wrong. That's what I love about philosophy is philosophy isn't like, I'm, it's gotta be right, you know? Um, I've gotta be right, no, it's gotta be right. And so love is not afraid to argue. Love is not afraid to repent. Love is not afraid to change its mind because that's all repentance is, is a change of mind. So when you take away even those scarier words and get down to a, a simpler foundation, we realize this is what love is. So love is saying, you know, hey, I, yeah, I never saw it that way. That's why arguing is really amazing. Um, all right, so I'll end with this since we've gone, I've gone really long today. I thought I was gonna go shorter today, but I've gone a little bit longer today. It is not a simple task. I'm gonna tell you that love is not a simple task. All you need is love, but guess what? It's gonna be different and look different for each person and it's going to need to adapt for each person. So there you go. So uh, if you have rules at your church and your Christian schools and like do these things, it might be time to lessen those rules or have an asterisk when you put rules in. Remember, or maybe the first rule should be like in Fight Club. The first rule in Fight Club is we don't talk about Fight Club. The second rule in Fight Club is we don't talk about Fight Club. You know, maybe the first rule in all our churches and stuff is be like the person is more important than the rules and we don't forget the second rule is the people are more important than the rule. You know, could you imagine that? And then the third rule should be is like, it was, we're not any better than anybody else. Even if our pastor is a jerk and he makes a mistake, we're still not better than him. And if we think we're too good to restore him, then we're only fooling ourselves. Because that's what the Bible says about grace. It's like, if you think you're too good, Paul said that, if you think you're too good to restore someone, you're only fooling yourself, you know? Could you imagine if it was like, you know, ELCA Lutherans were the first ones to jump in when Mark Driscoll's stuff went down and were like, hey, Mark, we're gonna embrace you and we're gonna love you. And you know, all of a sudden Mark Driscoll becomes a ELCA gay affirming Lutheran. <laughs> I mean, just imagine that. We, we, we sell the power of grace and love and restoration so short. Or like, well, they had their own should take care of their own. Good. Oh, yeah, he was a bastard. He deserved to fall apart. Well, that's not love. Might be a weird kind of love, but definitely not grace. Because grace says nobody deserves to be destroyed. But we as good Christians think, oh, that one was, you know, as a liberal Christian, that one, I'm glad they're gone. 
as conservative Christians, I'm glad they're gone. You know, screw it. As Christians, we should just be fixing each other all the time. Maybe we should always just agree to fix whoever's on the other side. And then, like, we'll take them. We'll, like, baseball or something. Or, you know, we'll trade them out. <laughs> we'll see if they like our, <laughs> our stuff better, you know. We'll take your bad pastors and you take our bad pastors and let's see what happens. Um, maybe we can restore them. Maybe they just need better theology or different theology. Now I'm getting weird, but this is art too. You know, like for me, theology is art as well. Um, love is, is uh, not for the faint of heart. It's not for the faint of heart. Love doesn't have trigger warnings. Love is not safe. Um, and love can be devastating. Love can devastate your whole life. When you really love people and they hurt you and they make mistakes or you hurt them, or fall, it can really be devastating. So love is not for the faint of heart. Love is dangerous. But this is what we are called to. We are called to this danger. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are called in the Christian tradition to love ourselves, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and then surprise, surprise, Jesus brings this up. Guess who our neighbors are? Our neighbors are, <laughs> believe it or not, our enemies. So we gotta love our enemies as ourselves as well. And this is dangerous and this is tough and this is why we've got to be willing to adapt our love with how we deal with different things. There's gonna to have to be cautious love and there's gonna to have to be uh, foolish love and, and, and at different times. But it, the same thing is that they're love and we have to love to what each situation calls us to. Um, you know, because blanket rules and blanket regulations and blanket things don't work. And that's what everybody wants and that just doesn't work. You know, that's what the church has wanted all this time and it doesn't work. And that's what I love about AA is it just works so differently because you have so many different people. You get sponsors and it's ran by the people. There's no real rules or regulations at all. I mean, there's recommendations, but you're not kicked out of AA. Um, you mess up, then you come back and you get a chip. It's, it's a really beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think the church could learn a lot from the AA Alcoholics Anonymous, um, because it's, it's such an amazing program, and um, you, you, you're never out. You might have to go to a different clubhouse, um, but you're never out. Um, but last this, and I will leave you with this warning, is that unconditional love, as beautiful as it sounds, can destroy you. And I would say to save unconditional love for some. My kids will have unconditional love. If my kid's son grows up to be a, uh, grew up to be a murderer or the most conservative Calvinist you've ever met in your life, I would love my son no matter what, my daughter no matter what. Um, they'd always have a place at the table. They'll always take their phone call, always spend time with them. You know, none of that would change. Um, there's other people, though, that if they, stuff like that happens, I'll still love them, but I will love them in a way that has a little bit more of conditions based on it, based on how I love them. But my children, I'll always love unconditionally. And that might hurt me sometimes, too, but they're worth it. But unconditional love can be very tough and very dangerous, and so I would just say, be careful with that. I think if anyone can love unconditionally, then it would have to be God. And if God is love and God's love is unconditional, then that puts even God into a more mysterious, different way that I will never understand, which also allows God to be God. All right, well, my phone, which is my camera, is about to die. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in today um, from, a, you know, from my friend's house. Uh, I'm glad I could talk to you guys. I love you guys. Um, I am trying to get more support for Revolution financially. We, we didn't make payroll at all last month. We barely paid our bills, but we decided to pay our bills rather than do payroll. Um, and so that's glad that we got that taken care of. But we really could use your financial support. And you can go to uh, 
revolutionchurch.com and go to the support. I think it's donations, revolutionchurch.com slash donations and do it there. And that would really help us a lot if you could make a donation that's tax deductible. Isn't that great? All right. Love you folks. I do. And I love you all in different ways. So there you go. I hope you have a fantastic week. And um, remember, God loves you more than I do, but I'll give you a damn good try. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.